You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. It's greater challenge to live for Christ than to die for Christ. Because Jesus said, if you're going to come after me and be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple unless you daily deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Romans 12:1. in view of the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. See, the difference in a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice can decide every day, every day, whether you want to get on the altar, whether you want to pick up your cross or not. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I die daily. Pick up your cross daily. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us that it's a greater challenge in some senses to live for Christ than it is to die for Christ. When we live for Christ, we have to daily decide whether or not we're going to follow him. Every day, we need to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God and put ourselves on the altar to Him and His will for our lives. Being a living sacrifice is not easy, but it is worth the life that it brings. Those who live for Christ will have life abundantly. Now here's Pastor Danny with part two of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter six. To every nation for all generations In my elementary years, I grew up in a place called Larkfield Circle. I don't know why they called it a circle. It was actually a square. It was divided pretty much by one block of houses on this end of the canal, and then a canal in the middle, and then another set of houses on this side of the canal. We lived on this side of the canal. A couple of doors down on around the corner were the Perrys. I never got to know the three Perry boys because his parents would not let them play with me and my friends. They had a fenced-in yard. They rarely got to go outside of their yard, and we were never invited in their yard. Vance lived on the other side of the canal. He was the spoiled brat of the neighborhood. None of us liked him. None of my friends, anyway. Lived with his grandparents. They gave him everything he wanted, and anytime we got something, he got one better. You get a mini bike, he gets a more expensive mini bike. We didn't like Van. One day we noticed the Perry boys were hanging out with, they actually went to his house, playing with all the nice stuff. So we, on our side of the canal, looking across the other side of the canal at Van's house and the Perry boys and Van playing, began to taunt them. Words escalated. Next thing you know, Van reaches down and grabs a rock and throws it. Very unsportsmanlike. He wasn't much of an athlete, but he threw it at us. That was a mistake. Because myself and the friends with me, Todd Shoemake, Brooke Shoemake, Chip Lee, Tommy McDaniel, etc., all good baseball players. Rocks began to fly. I reached down, pick up a rock, sidearmed it like a double play, second base. It beelines it just like the rock that David shot toward Goliath, hits Perry, the oldest of the Perry boys, right here on the forehead. He crumbled. 
and blood began to just pour, pour, covered him. Pandemonium set in. I ran home. I ran home. I hid. Only a few minutes later to be called out of hiding by my mother, be led into the living room, and be confronted by a very large and angry-faced highway patrolman, the Perry's father. It's a memory I'd like to forget, but obviously it's fresh. (laughs) Tim got a few stitches. Stephen was killed. You imagine that scene? I know what it's like for somebody to get hit by one rock. (laughs) They killed him. We know nothing except what the Bible says about Stephen. We know nothing about his family, but it must have been traumatic. It must have been tough for the church. He's one of the first servants, one of the first deacons of the early church. That was the text last time. Must have been hard for the church. But let me tell you this. He did not die in vain. He did not die in vain. Here's what Paul says. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And then he closes it this this way, whether by life or by death. Earlier in Philippians chapter one, Paul said the things that have happened to me, very negative things, very painful things have happened and they've served to advance the gospel. Stephen's name is interesting. It means a crown or a wreath. In athletic games in ancient times, if you won, you got a wreath, and that was your crown. It's called a Stephanos. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, compares the crown that the believer will get to the crown that those who, who compete in athletics in this life will get. One is incorruptible. One is corruptible. I want the lightning to win. I'm sorry they lost last night. I was disappointed. I want them to win a second Stanley Cup. But it's a corruptible crown. It's a corruptible crown. When Stephen was welcomed into glory, he got the crown of life. And he did not die in vain. I want to deal with two things in the story. One is message. And second is ministry. His message is not like the message I have this morning. What I mean by that is I have spent hours and hours. I have eight pages of type notes. You'll be glad I'm not going to give you everything in the notes. We'd be here a long time. But I've worked, I've studied, and that's my responsibility. But this is, this is not how it happened in this occasion for Stephen. This is one of those messages that Jesus told his disciples some of them might have the privilege of giving. When you stand before courts because of me, Don't think beforehand what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. This is is one of those messages. Stephen had not studied. He didn't have notes. It's just the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking through Stephen. Spirit-filled message, but a rebuking message. Rebuking. All scriptures God breathes and is useful for teaching. I love that part. (laughs) For rebuking. Correcting and training in righteousness. Next chapter, preach the word, Paul says to Timothy, passed on to us. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is an out of season moment for Stephen. Because you'd like to, when you rebuke in the name of the Lord, people repent. They don't always repent. Sometimes the response is not what the Lord wants and not what we want. Though sharp, though cutting, Stephen's message was loving, loving. 
Here's what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, he says. I stand at the door. I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, what were they rebuked for? They were lukewarm. That's another message in itself, but it tells us if you're lukewarm, you don't have any real fellowship because that's what he's talking about. I'll come in and we'll have fellowship. Instead, he said, because you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You make me nauseous. And that was a hard thing to hear. You imagine? I mean, that's a hard thing to hear. But he loved them. That's why he said it. My children have not always felt like I love them. And I am not a perfect parent. They know that. I know that. I've made mistakes. But there have been times that there was not a mistake where I was stern. I was strong. And they didn't feel any warm, fuzzy love from dad. But there were times when I was strong and I was stern because I do love them. Proverbs 3, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Years ago, and some of you know this story, and I'll just briefly share it. I've shared it before. Fell in our church. He was in a wheelchair. He had gotten in an auto accident before he became a part of our church. Channel 22 actually raised funds at one time and bought him a van that was wheelchair accessible and all. And uh, he's going to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life. Became a part of our fellowship. He met a lady in our church. I ended up marrying them. And uh, to make a long story short, they ended up having trouble. And uh, this fella ended up seeing someone else. I had never met the person. And uh, I rebuked him for it. He didn't listen. He left the church. My wife and I are out at a restaurant one evening and we're sitting and I look over and here's this fella And he's sitting with this woman who I do not know, but I know it's not his wife. And they're sitting on the same side of a booth together. And so quickly, immediately, I felt led of the Lord. And my wife didn't feel led of the Lord this way for me to do it. But I didn't give her an opportunity to stop me. I got up and she knew exactly what I was doing. And I went over and I plopped down in that booth across from both of them. I said, ma'am, I know you don't know who I am. But I know Michael. Told her who I was. And I gave a fresh confrontation. And a rebuke to Michael for the audacity for him to be in this restaurant with this woman while he's still married. You know what he did? He leaned over and he looked at me, eyeball to eyeball. He said, who do you think you are, God? That was about the end of my confrontation. I softly answered and I went back to the table and had a tough time eating the meal. I don't even remember if we stayed. I can't remember if we actually stayed for the meal. Didn't seem very loving. And I didn't enjoy it. Before Michael passed away and went home to be with the Lord, and I'm convinced he's with the Lord, I went to see him in the hospital. He was very weak. He called me over to his bedside, and he, he asked me to come close, and, and he, in my ear, just he and I, he confessed, and he repented. He needed to be confronted. And it was loving, and thank God, how it ultimately turned out. But some people don't respond that way. And sometimes the instrument, or at least your perception of the instrument God's using, my favorite biblical story of God using an instrument to rebuke someone is the story of Balaam. Peter recounts it very simply. They've left the straight way, wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. Old King James Version just says it straight out, a jackass. A beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Because his path was a reckless one. 
before God. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion on something here. When I look at the whole story, biblically, I am convinced, even though it doesn't come out and tell us this, I am convinced, I'm convinced, I believe that the guys from the synagogue of the freedmen who came to oppose Stephen, I believe Saul of Tarsus led them there. That's why you have in verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul approved of their killing, or Saul was there giving approval to his death. He was a leader. And he led a charge of persecution against the early church. And it got bad. Chapter 9 opens this way. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I believe it was this encounter with Stephen that fueled Saul's fire in his murderous mission against Jesus' disciples. Imagine a young guy like Saul was young too, but Saul is a somebody. You got to know that he's a somebody in Jewish circles. Everybody looked up to Saul of Tarsus. It says in Galatians 1.14, I was advancing in Judaism far beyond those of my own age. He writes about his pedigree in terms of his accomplishments in Philippians chapter 3. He was a somebody. And to hear the likes of this guy, this servant, this deacon of the early church, Stephen, and his message, Saul, he was one of those gnashing his teeth and rushing at Stephen. And he gave approval kill him. And while I believe it was this encounter with Stephen that fueled Saul's fire against the church, I also am convinced it was this encounter with Stephen that God would use to change Saul of Tarsus's life forever. In Acts 26, Paul the apostle, formerly Saul of Tarsus, stands before King Herod Agrippa. He begins to share his testimony. I'll just give you the short of it. Verse 13, chapter 26, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. It's Jesus. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a sharp object, is a sharp object used generally with cattle, other animals too, but generally with cattle. And you want the, the cattle to go which way you want them to go. And so you, you poke them with the goad. And if he doesn't respond correctly, you poke him again. And if he doesn't respond correctly, you poke him a little harder. And you just keep goading that cow until he moves the way you want him to move. I believe one of the goads, if not the main goad that God used to reach Saul of Tarsus, was Stephen, his life, his message, his death, but not just his death, how he died. Fascinating verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just read it. Hebrews chapter 11, one verse, verse four. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Isn't that a fascinating verse? You could say that about Stephen. He still speaks. Spoke to Saul of Tarsus, I don't, have any, I don't have any doubt. As Saul continued his mission of persecution against the church, he could not get Stephen, I believe, out of his mind. He could see it, just like I didn't see Perry, like it was yesterday. He could see Stephen there before the Sanhedrin, and his face like the face of an angel said something about his life. He heard the summary of his message, the history of the Jewish people. While God's been gracious and merciful, we have a history of rebellion and stiff-neckedness and idolatry. And I have no doubt he heard his prayer many times. And he heard him cry out, don't hold this sin against them. And every time he'd 
remember. Holy Spirit, <clears throat> go stick him. And Saul would kick, kick, and resist. Mark 15, 39 makes an incredible statement about the centurion that was in charge of those at the cross of Jesus and those who died with him. And here's what it says. At, and the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, when he saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. It was how he died that convinced him he's the son of God. Now, listen to me carefully. I know we're moving toward the close. It's unlikely unless things change in our culture, and I pray they don't. I pray we have revival in our country. We sure need it. Or unless God calls us to another part of the world where Christians are literally dying for our faith. All right. Unless one of those two things happen, it's unlikely. I'm saying it's unlikely, and I think you'll agree with me, that any of us will die like Stephen died, or will be beheaded because of our faith in Christ, or will become martyrs. It's unlikely. And I pray that never happens to any of us. But with that said, let me take you back to Philippians 1 for just a minute. I eagerly expect and hope that I'll in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether, and I emphasize now, by life or by death. Except for Jesus, martyrs don't have choices. Jesus could have called legions of angels. He could have stopped the whole thing. Stephen didn't have a choice. And people in their right minds, they don't volunteer for martyrdom. Stephen said, I'll go for you, Lord. No, 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 no. And so in a sense, if you understand what I'm saying here, in a sense, it's greater challenge to live for Christ than to die for Christ. Because Jesus said, if you're going to come after me and be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple unless you daily deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Romans 12, 1, in view of the mercy of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. See, the difference in a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice can decide every day, every day, whether you want to get on the altar, whether you want to pick up your cross or not. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I die daily, daily. Now, last few minutes, here's what I want to do. From the life of Stephen and the text, let God challenge us on what it means, practically speaking, when I become a living sacrifice and continue daily to die for the cause of Christ. It means I'm willing to say what people need to hear, not what they want to hear. The context of the verse in Timothy earlier, preach the word, rebuke and encourage with all great patience, careful instruction. The context of that is because the time's going to come when they're not going to endure that. They're going to find teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Homosexuality is spreading like a cancer, especially in our area. I'm so proud of a longtime church member that recently was told by her boss that all the employees have been signed up for the gay pride parade. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't be a part of anything like that. I don't know what the repercussion has been from her decision, but God bless her. I'm not saying don't go to the gay pride parade, but if you're going to go there, go with a delegation of believers to be a witness for Christ. Not to preach and just say you're going to hell to love on them. Just like we would the heterosexual community that's also rampant sin. Listen, it's both sexual sin. One's just a perversion. And the answer to both is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be loving to all people. But we want to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And hopefully we'll do it lovingly. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it just depends. Sometimes it's more harsh. Stevens seemed harsh. Depends on what the Holy Spirit's doing in the moment in your, your particular situation. 
I'm extremely disappointed in our governor, Scott. I don't get involved in politics very much, but he signed a bill last Thursday that does away with a long-standing Florida law prohibiting homosexuals from adopting children. And now, because of the bill he signed last Thursday, our ministry, Door of Hope, not to be confused with Door Outreach, where we're supporting these Indian missionaries, but Door of Hope, the old four kids, four kids, now called Door of Hope, guess what? That bill signed means that we could be sued if we don't allow homosexuals to come in and train them and, and let them adopt children. We are not going to do that because that's against the word of God. We're not going to do that. And so persecution increasing in our world. And to declare in our world that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. You talk about being labeled as narrow-minded. But we need to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And the only way I'm going to be willing to do that on a regular basis is to deny myself, take up my cross, follow Jesus. Because that's what he did. And the challenge when you say what they need to hear, when the response is not what you want and not what God wants, is not to retaliate. Stephen, even though he may not be able to see who he's aiming at, he could have picked up a couple of rocks and thrown them back. But he didn't do that. Why? Because his Lord didn't do that. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When I deny myself, take up my cross, living sacrifice, it means I sacrifice and suffer for others. Because that's what Jesus did. Peter says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that's commendable before God. To this you recall because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It's the only way I allow the Holy Spirit to fill me. Ephesians 5.18, they tell me the Greek is, the meaning is, keep on being filled. Keep on being filled over and over and over and over again. The only way I can do that, the only way we can do that is deny ourselves, take up our cross. If we're filled with self, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means I'll pray for those who persecute me. Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It means God's able to make me the witness that he desires. And finally, last but not least, not least, your life will bear fruit for God. It will. You think about this now. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He must know by now. Stephen. Surely he's met the apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, by now. Certainly they've been able to discuss, to marvel, to thank God. Stephen, I don't know how much they know about what's going on here. But until Stephen met Paul the apostle, both of them in heaven now, it could be that he had no idea how his life, his message, his death, and how he died bore fruit for God. Nobody expected Saul of Tarsus to get saved. Nobody. When he got saved, none of the saints in Jerusalem would hang out with him. They would not fellowship with him because they thought it was a ploy. They thought he was play acting to infiltrate and persecute more believers. Nobody expected Saul of Tarsus to get saved. Don't answer out loud. Don't write it down. Hold it up. Who in your life? is the most least likely person, family member, boss, enemy. Could it be that they're in our lives, 
because God wants us to be a living sacrifice, to die daily so that they might get saved, the most least likely. details the birth of the church as we know it today. Before Jesus came, the only way to worship God was in a temple, with sacrifices at the ready and only speaking to him through another person. Jesus changed that. Now everyone has direct access to the King of Kings. We can speak to him through our prayers and even hear directly back from him in our own spirit. This is thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is received as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and giving you the guidance and hope you desire. We'd love to tell you more about this. Send us a quick email at info at ccfstpete.church and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We would love to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching that Pastor Danny Hodges has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Pastor Danny will lead us deeper into the book of Acts when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word. 